Welcome to Legal Giants Tiny Talks, a podcast where we invite legal experts to talk about current issues in their field. Today, we're very lucky to have Simon Dots to come onto the show and talk to us a little bit about Brexit regulations and its impact on the financial institutions and financial services. Simon Dots is of counsel in the financial institutions advisory and financial regulatory practice of the international law firm Sherman and Sterling. He joined Sherman and Sterling in 2018 from Deutsche Bank, where he was co-global general counsel. Simon had previously been global head of compliance at Deutsche Bank. Simon now brings his wealth of experience to bear when advising boards and senior management on a range of legal and regulatory matters, including financial crime-related issues. So, welcome to the show, Simon. Um, thank you very much for coming on here today. Um, so, to begin with, we understand that it seems that for financial services as a sector as a whole, Brexit has brought about a lot of uncertainties for financial services operating in the UK. And um, we know that lawyers working for financial institutions are preparing for all kinds of scenarios whilst anticipating the, or should I say, an equivalence system. Um, regarding to the, uh, with regards to this, could you explain briefly what can and will the equivalence system do? What factors do the UK and the EU consider when coming up with post-Brexit regulations for financial institutions? Also, how or does Brexit affect attempts to set international regulatory standards for the financial industry? Thank you. Okay, thank you, Cynthia. Um, before I answer your question, let me just make clear that the views I express today are my own uh, and do not reflect the views of the law firm I work for, uh, nor do they constitute uh, legal advice. Mm. Um, that's just uh, the formal part. Now let me talk a little bit about the questions. Um, and I think it's important to go back to the beginning, go back to before Brexit, and, and look at the situation uh, for the UK financial services industry before Bre Brexit. And before Brexit occurred, um, being based in the EU, uh, the UK financial institutions had access to the EU's single market and could do business across the EU. They benefited from something called the passport. This meant that a financial institution located in the UK authorized and regulated in the UK could seamlessly offer its services across the EU, dealing directly with clients and customers in all the EU countries. Now, this was very attractive for UK-based financial institutions. The UK is very much a global financial center. It's much larger than any of the other European financial centers. Um, the passport uh, allowed UK financial institutions to operate across the EU with a minimum of additional regulation and red tape. Now, with Brexit at the end of last year, the UK obviously left the EU. After the 2016 referendum, there was a lot of talk about whether we should look to negotiate a hard or a soft Brexit. Mm. In the end, for financial institutions, Brexit was hard. 
there were very limited agreements between the EU and UK relating to the financial services industry. So what does this mean? From January the 1st, 2021, UK-based financial institutions ceased to have access to the EU single market and ceased to benefit uh, from the passport. Instead, the UK became uh, what is known in EU Parliament as a third country. And as such, the ability of UK financial institutions to transact with customers and clients in the EU became circumscribed. Indeed, the UK now has no greater access and in some respects less access than other third countries such as the US, Japan and Singapore. Under the new regime, UK financial institutions have been required to set up a corporate entity geographically located within the EU and subject to EU regulation. They've been required to transact with EU clients and customers through that EU-based entity. Now, many financial institutions have done this. So have US institutions that previously operated in Europe from the UK. This has proved onerous. It's expensive to set up and run a new entity in the EU. There's additional EU regulation and red tape, capital constraints, and the difficulty of moving staff from the UK to the EU. Overshadowing this is the concern that business will leave the UK for Europe and that that will be disadvantageous for the UK. So that's basically setting the scene, if you like. Um, you then mentioned equivalence and what was equivalence and, and how does that play into all of this? Well, one of the ways in which the impact of losing the passport might be ameliorated is through the concept of equivalence. Mm. Now, put simply, certain of the relevant EU rules, most importantly, method and the fear, envisage a situation in which the EU determines that the rules and regulations of a third country are equivalent to those of the EU. And in that case, the EU would permit third country financial institutions to access the EU from the third country without setting up an entity in the EU. Now, this sounds like a very good solution, even if equivalence decisions tend to be made on a segment-by-segment -segment basis and is not available for all of the business that UK financial institutions have traditionally done in the EU. As of today, since we have just left the EU, our rules are actually not just equivalent to the EU rules, but they're actually the same, in effect. Nonetheless, this topic, this topic of equivalence, is in reality pretty complex. First, the EU has so far only conferred equivalent status um, on any third country with respect to a fairly limited business segment. Second, equivalence is a unilateral decision. Um, unless the EU were to agree to some sort of dispute mechanism, the EU could withdraw equivalence at any time and, and with very little notice. Third, and most fundamentally, uh, there seems to be different views as to what equivalence actually means. The EU seems to incline to a view that equivalence is a synonym 
for the same. If the UK were to change its laws in the future, then its equivalent status uh, might come under threat. The UK, by contrast, view, view focuses much more on outcomes. In other words, it doesn't really matter what the UK will say, provided that the result of them is equivalent to the EU rules. For example, this would arguably allow the UK to reduce red tape and certain reporting requirements, uh, provided that new UK rules were, in terms of outcome, equivalent of the EU's. And it's also unclear as to what would happen if the EU changed its rules in the future. Would the UK have to follow suit? So I guess, you know, to sum up, we have a situation in which Brexit has made a very significant change to the way UK-based financial institutions operate, uh, makes it much harder to operate because of the loss of the passport and the loss of access to the, to the single market. And equivalence is, would be one way of avoiding that problem, um, but it doesn't, um, it, but there are some real issues with it. So basically the equivalent system doesn't necessarily promise that things would go back to the way it was when the UK had its passport. A absolutely right, it doesn't at all. And, um, you know, you could imagine a situation in which, you know, the EU said absolutely your equivalent today, and, and I think the right answer is that our rules and regulations are equivalent today, but the equivalence framework doesn't really deal, at least now, with what happens if there is divergence in the future. And, um, and that's really that's really fundamentally the problem. And you, you have a situation where, you know, if the EU were to change its rules, do we, does the UK have to change its rules to follow the EU? Well, that doesn't seem so satisfactory um, because we wouldn't, and the UK wouldn't have any input into what those new rules are. And equally, if the UK were to change its rules, you know, would the EU be able to just say, sorry, you're no longer equivalent, mm. therefore you lose all, all the privileges of being equivalent. So equivalence doesn't really, um, doesn't really necessarily solve the problem. Mm. Um, and, and it certainly seems to me um, that there is, is some possibility that there will never really be equivalence on offer. Mm. Right. Yeah. Now, I'm listening. I'm listening. No, I was just wondering yeah. also that, like, although you mentioned that um, the EU and the UK within these two parties, they already have different understanding as to what equivalents mean. I also wonder if the EU country member countries have different divergent understanding of the word themselves as well um, as equivalence talks goes on because I'm pretty sure they have different opinions as to how welcoming they would like to be towards the UK. Sure. No, it, it, that, that's exactly right, Cynthia. I mean, I, I talked about, I, I contrasted EU, EU views and UK views, and that did give the impression that the EU rules were monolithic, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And of the 27 countries, uh, 
um, you will find, you know, some number of those countries more um, open to equivalence, more eager for UK services, financial services, more eager for UK financial services to have access to Europe. And then you'll find countries that are pretty opposed. And then you'll find other countries that don't really have a view. So now, I think in any discussion, in any um, uh, in any negotiation to establish equivalents, I think that you would, you know, the European Commission would would put would end up having to negotiate something with the UK that was bought, that, that was supported by the member state. Um, and I think what that really does is just make it all the more complicated. And so. You know, it, it becomes quite an interesting thing because at one level, if you are a UK-based financial institution, um, equivalence is very attractive um, because, at least conceptually, because it would allow you access to important parts of the single market. Um, and that seems to me something that most financial institutions would be supportive of. Um, but there are so many questions about it, and I think pretty extensive political problems, um, that I personally, in this, this just a personal view, um, I think it is pretty unlikely that we will get equivalence, or that we will get equivalence, and, and by that I mean unlikely that we will get equivalence in the short to medium term, and if we do, I think it might be quite restricted to particular types of business. Mm. I think the sort of broad equivalence that would be most attractive to the UK, I think in reality isn't going to be on offer. Or put another way, um, the EU, it, it's not going to be on offer in a way that the UK is going to like. Mm. And that goes back to this point we were just talking about, where I said, you know, if you, if you like, so I, my guess is the EU fundamentally will be saying, gee, um, we make you equivalent if we change our rules, if we increase regulation, for example, we expect you to follow to be, to remain equivalent. And equally, if the UK changes its rules, diverges from the EU, then that will be scrutinized very closely. Mm. And I think where that where that really takes you to is that I think it would be um, a mistake for anybody to rely on um, equivalence happening. For sure. And, and, so, uh, and, and so that's why, you know, most of the big financial institutions um, that have been based in the UK, that have been servicing the EU, have, as I said earlier, set up, you know, or mm. expanded entities in um, Europe and are conducting business through those entities. Um, and and that's just the sensible that's just the sensible way to go. Mm. So that actually leads nicely to the next question that we have. Um, we understand that lawyers advise on how firms can meet and function within sets of regulations. So what is their role in preparing firms as they anticipate future regulation changes? Can significant regulatory changes be expected? And is there any 
matter of utmost importance which you think financial service firms are the most worried about so you mentioned the setting up of entities i suppose that lawyers are heavily inf um, involved in that but so like what else yeah um so uh, I said earlier that Brexit was hard for the financial services uh, industry. Um, prior to the end of 2020, there'd been some possibility that it would be softer and there would be some sort of agreement between the EU and the UK that would preserve the status quo to some extent. That obviously didn't happen. Um, and as you rightly said, um, as, as is always the case, there was plenty of work for lawyers. Um, there were two aspects of the work that I think was, was pretty important for, workers around, for lawyers around Brexit. Um, once it became clear that UK-based financial institutions would lose access to the single market, or would likely lose access to the single market, um, there was a great deal of legal and other work uh, required to determine where best to locate in Europe uh, and to then affect the various legal and regulatory arrangements required to set up um, the operation. And that, of course, was a pretty complex exercise. I mean, first of all, it's not just a legal question, but there are a lot of issues about where are you going to locate. And um, you may have seen in the papers, or there's been a lot of talk, uh, Paris, Frankfurt, Amsterdam, Dublin, or, you know, major banks um, put operations in one or more of, of those countries. And when they went into those countries, it almost always required, um, first of all, maybe the setting up of the entity, but also the application for a license. And that's a fairly complex piece of work, and it's a piece of work that, that lawyers get involved in and got involved in in this case. The second thing um, that um, was pretty important and was very labor-intensive um, was that once the new entities were set up, there was a need to transfer existing relationships with EU clients and customers to the new EU-based entity. Uh, and depending on the size of the bank, this could involve the transfer of literally hundreds of relationships uh, and contracts. And, and um, that was just an enormous, enormous amount of work. Now, you also talked about, you know, regulatory change going forward. Uh, and I think, it's, I think it's fair to say that uh, many people in the financial institutions, particularly some of the lawyers, are pretty tired after all of the work done to get ready for Brexit um, and would like a certain amount of, of stability for a while. Um, but I do think, um, it, you know, ongoing regulatory change is going to be something everybody will have to live with. Um, and, I mean, the EU has made it clear that it will be revamping some of its rules over the next few years. Um, now that the UK has left the EU, the UK has more freedom uh, to modify its regulations, and, uh, and, and I would expect it to do so. And, and I think from the perspective of the banks, I don't think they're necessarily adverse to regulation, far from it. They know they operate in a highly regulated um, industry. That's just something you live with. Mm. Um, in a sense, they're most concerned to ensure a level playing field. 
And, you know, if somebody was to dream of, of the impossible, you would say single regulatory system probably globally would suit banks quite happily so that they would only have to apply, um, they, they would only have to follow one set of rules. Um, I don't think there, as of today, one specific rule that they're particularly worried about. Um, but the biggest concern is probably around continued uncertainty, and uncertainty is expensive. It makes it hard to plan for the future, mm. and it distracts you from a focus on business opportunity. And then the other aspect of that is simply the fact that the UK has left the EU means that you will have to worry about another set of regulations. You know, before they were basically the same as the EU. Now, you know, what the UK does is going to be important quite separately from the EU. And another thing is um, one of our listeners actually wanted to ask this, but we didn't know how relevant it was. So they say that they thought the UK was very much reliant, the whole economy was very much reliant on financial services. And they think, oh, um, with these banks setting up new entities in other countries, would there be less um, monetary investment going into the UK? And last question is, I just wonder, like you mentioned that banks would actually like, like to have just an international standardized sets of regulation because obviously you mentioned it makes their it makes it less expensive and easier but um so but also i read somewhere that somebody said it's highly doubtful that the uk would want to given its decision on brexit it's highly doubtful that the uk would like to make regulatory standards that are similar to international ones and that it would abide by international um, efforts to standardize um, regulations for the industry so i'm thinking about basel one two three and like the efforts signified there so yeah i just wonder what's your view okay. on this yeah um I'd say a few things, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to get into sort of people will have their political views as to whether Brexit was good or Brexit was bad. Um, the reality is whether you voted for it or you didn't vote for it, uh, Brexit is now a fact. Um, it, it is undoubtedly the case that um, some number of jobs have been moved from London to continental Europe as a, as a, as a direct consequence of the issues that we've been talking about. And, um, and, and, you know, when a big bank increased its operation in Frankfurt or in Paris or in Dublin, it did so either by transferring staff um, or it did so by, um, you know, maybe firing staff in London and then putting putting staff in, um, uh, hiring locally in wherever they happen to be. Um, interestingly, though, I think the numbers that have moved have been much less than some people expected. So that's, that's just, I think, today's reality. 
you know, that may change over the next year or two. It may change because now people are, you know, Brexit has happened. We're now living with Brexit. There may be a movement, but, but as of today, the number of people that are leaving the UK um, financial services industry is, is much less than, than had been anticipated. Um, I think it is fair to say that if you were setting up a business today in the EU, you wouldn't do that by investing in the UK. I mean, that doesn't bring you real, real advantages anymore. But of course, the reasons why you may um, build up in a, in a particular location um, are not just because of the EU status. And I don't know if, if you or, or some of the listeners I uh, would have noticed that, that yesterday um, Goldman Sachs announced, literally yesterday, funnily enough, the day before we're doing this interview, um, announced that it was setting up a sort of IT and data analytics operation in Birmingham in England. And that is going to be, you know, that is their first, I mean, they have a small office in Milton Keynes, but this is going to be their first big office outside London is going to have hundreds of employees and is going to be staffed by mainly people from the local market. And that, you know, that could have been, they could have made that investment somewhere in Europe. They didn't. They put it into Birmingham. And I, you know, I think there were lots of reasons presumably went into that. I mean, the proximity of Birmingham to London is a positive. Birmingham has a good financial services industry that there are other banks, other major banks already there. Um, but I did think it was extremely interesting that, um, uh, uh, that they've done this. And, and is, is actually a, both a positive sign but also, I think, reflective of the fact that the decisions that are made are complicated mm. decisions, and, and they're multifaceted decisions. Um, and then the, the other point um, to look at, of course, when you, when you consider, with respect to the financial services industry, how things will play over the next few years, um, there are certain very important growth areas where the UK has considerable advantages and where I don't think, you know, the, the inability to sell so easily into the EU makes quite such a difference. And the particular areas I'm thinking about are sustainable finance mm. and fintech, both of which I think the UK has good positions in. And and where I think over, you know, the next year, you will see efforts by the UK government to push both of those areas. So, really, the answer to your to your to your listeners' question is that it's actually quite complicated, and mm. and I think it becomes even more complicated when you look at the impact of the pandemic, because you know making and so when you then look at the economy, trying to work out. Well, what has happened because of the pandemic? What has happened because of Brexit? Uh, uh, it's actually going to be very hard mm. to tell. Um, and then your third question about um, cooperation. Um, I, my, my personal view, and it's, it's probably more of an instinct than any real knowledge, 
is that um, there is an ongoing openness to collaborate internationally with the by the UK. The, the fact of Brexit doesn't really impact that. Mm -mm. I think the UK is always going to be interesting, interested in international fora with respect to um, you know capital. Um, you know, conduct tends to be much more local, but capital, um, anti-terrorist finance, that sort of thing. I think I think you really will see Britain very active. And I think one of the things to bear in mind is that the UK, you know, when you look at major global financial centers, I think you talk about New York, you talk about London, you talk about some of the rising areas, centers in, in Asia, um, but um, you know, the, the EU is much more of a local, mm. it tends to be much more of a local market. Now again, that can change over time. I mean, there's, there's been a lot of talk about a single um, EU-wide capital market, uh, which has never really developed. If the EU were to integrate more, um, then you could maybe see the EU becoming more powerful from a financial services industry point of view. But one of the issues right now is it's quite fragmented. Mm. So one of the negatives of the, of the EU, for customers at least, and for clients, is the separation of the UK and the EU in effect creates two liquidity pools and just fragments or balkanizes the, the um, environment. And that's sort of made worse because there isn't a single European um, financial center. There's France, there's Paris, there's Amsterdam, there's Frankfurt, there's, there's Dublin, there's Luxembourg. So the, the and, and then there's Switzerland, which we haven't even talked about. Which yeah. Is not in the EU, which is looking to collaborate. The UK and Switzerland are looking to collaborate more, which I think is an interesting mm. um, element. Um, so I, I think, you know, it's, we've digressed slightly. I think in part the message is, uh, I think the view that just says this is good for somebody or bad for somebody is a little too simplistic. Mm. I think we're in a world of some complexity and certainly a world of some volatility and where we come out in two years' time, five years' time, ten years' time, uh, I think it's, in, in a way, to use a sort of colloquialism, it's all to play for. I think it's, you know, I, I'm, I, I wouldn't like to say today where I think, what I think the world will look like in a few years. Mm. So our next question you've kind of already covered earlier on, um, that would overseas investment decrease because of Brexit? If so, why? Um, would you still like to talk about that or we can jump on sure. to the last question? Well, no, I, I, look, I would say again, I mean, really just to emphasize what I, what I said before, I think it's a, a complicated, I think it is a complicated picture. And I think it is clearly the case that there has been less job losses or less job transfers to Europe than expected mm. um, so far. But that could that could change, you know, significantly over time. And 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 but I but I do think it's also um, you, 
what has what has happened? I suppose the other thing to think about is leaving the EU, the, the, the UK financial services industry. Yes, the EU was extremely important, but the UK is very much of a global centre for financial services. So that isn't anything. You know, I, I don't know what percentage of the business it is. It's obviously an important part of the business, but it's but it's it's not the be all and end all. And I, I think sometimes people forget that when mm. they're looking at. You know why are people investing in the UK? What is happening with the financial services industry, etc.? Uh, and indeed, in some ways, the most interesting dynamic in financial services at the moment um, is digitalisation, which you know is a whole. I mean, that would be the subject for a whole different um, um, podcast. Yeah, fantastic. In some ways, that's actually, you know, for fun, I would say that's actually more important to development mm. and a more uncertain development than Brexit. Mm. And I think, like you mentioned earlier on, the UK actually have some developments as to ESG. Um, and I noticed yesterday just from the news that apparently there's a trend that ESG indicators are being used to monitor investment performances so i presume that would like uk would benefit from having a good position in that area as well so our last question is that um some have argued that the uk should shift its focus away from reaching an equivalence and i think you have talked about that a little bit that we shouldn't expect an equivalent system to um, be promised and but consider how but all these people have said that um, the UK should consider how London could position itself as a global financial hub that it is so what's your view on this yeah look I I, I think I suppose I'd put it this way. I think establishing or agreeing an equivalence framework that would be attractive to the UK is going to be pretty difficult. I think if we can achieve it, that would be, that, that I think would be a good thing. But I think my, my view is not so much do I, you know, and, and to give you an example, I mean, if, if the equivalence regime that we established required us to follow every change in rule that the EU makes, I think that would be a bad thing. So I don't think we would ever agree to that. Um, my, my personal view is that it's going to be very difficult to reach an agreement on equivalence. And that's, you know, everybody will act in good faith, but I think the interest of the EU and the interests of the UK are going to be different. And there's not going to be any great driver to reach a conclusion. Uh, and and so I, I think finding an agreement that works for both sides is going to be hard. And maybe I'll be proved wrong, but I think it's going to be hard. In that context, I think it is very important for the UK to be thinking hard about how it uses its, its freedom, if you like, to develop a regulatory framework that is attractive um, to investment and attractive to business. And that take, and, and you know, they recently had something called the Khalifa Report, 
by Ron Khalifa talking about how to encourage um, um, uh, fintech uh, in in the UK. There was a recent report by Lord Hill to do with uh, capital markets on how to make the UK an attractive place for IPOs and listings and that sort of thing. And there's more to come. And I and, and the sustainable finance that we've talked about. I think all of those things, all of those initiatives, are really important initiatives, and they're part of the UK positioning itself to be ready for the new world. Now, interestingly, I think that all of these things would have been necessary even if Britain hadn't left the EU, because these developments are happening anyway. Um, but having left the EU, they become fundamental because undoubtedly business with Europe is harder. So, um, but, but, that's, but that's kind of, and, and I, and so, it's not that I would, you know, if I could get a equivalent deal that I liked, that would be great. I am just not sure it's going to be available. Mm, okay, so seems like the UK is going to be staying competitive either way, anyways. Um, with you have to be competitive. Yeah, to be competitive, right? <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Um, well, thank you very much. I think I've learned a lot and it's been very informative. Yeah, that's all the questions I have. That is uh, absolutely my pleasure, Cynthia. It's been uh, very enjoyable to talk to you today. Thank you, you too.